I'm Mark Middleton along with Bill Schaefer, and this is Growing Bolder, proof that it's never too late to bounce back from just about anything. It's never too late to chase your dreams and pursue your passions. And you know, Bill, this is not an award show, but you wouldn't know it from today's lineup of guests. It's even better than an award show. Check out this lineup. We've got a Grammy Award-winning singer and an Oscar-winning actress, plus a Lifetime Achievement Award winner, and a this is the best of all, Mark, a 20-time national champion who's reinvented himself as the world's greatest jump rope teacher all today on growing bolder What a great groove. And, of course, the performer is a Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter who has only charted, what, 21 top 40 singles, 11 of which climbed all the way to number one. She also happens to be an author of four books, including her best-selling memoir, Composed. Her latest album is called The River and the Thread. It is getting rave reviews, being called one of the finest albums she has ever recorded. And, folks, that is saying something because she, of course, is Roseanne Cash, who joins us now to talk about her amazing new album. Hey, Roseanne, how are you? Hi, Mark. Hi, Bill. Congratulations on the success of The River and the Thread. Sales have been great. The, the reviews have been really, you know, um, amazing. Time Magazine calls it beautiful and complex. The Boston Globe calls it one of 2014's first great albums. Another critic called it a masterpiece. I mean, the work obviously pleases you and your fans. Do you really care what the critics think? Uh, only if it's good. <laughs> <laughs> No, the, those reviews have been really, really gratifying. You know, at this point in my career, you just hope somebody notices. So uh, to get that kind of feedback has been really great. I've enjoyed every minute. I think for the first time in my life, I've really enjoyed it instead of waiting for the other shoe to drop. <laughs> and real interesting, too, about the record is that your father, Johnny Cash, was partly responsible for the record because... Is it true that a lot of the music that you created was inspired by a trip you made to his boyhood home in Arkansas? Well, you know, I think people think that that's a larger piece to the story than it actually is. The, we took a lot of trips down south through Tennessee, Arkansas, Mississippi, Alabama, Virginia, while we were writing the, this, the songs on this record. I say we, meaning John Leventhal, my husband and I. And we're deeply versed in Southern music and love it so much. So there's there are nods to the blues and to uh, Southern gospel and Appalachian. The, one of the first trips I took was to um, Dias, Arkansas, my dad's boyhood home, because I was uh, involved with Arkansas State University in helping them restore the home as a music heritage site. But to say he's responsible is really stretching it. And you mentioned your husband. Uh, you know, for the most part, you wrote the lyrics. Your husband, John Leventhal, who, who produced the album, wrote the music. That, that's obviously a collaboration, Roseanne. It seems to be working for you on multiple levels. Yeah, I mean, we've worked hard at getting to a place where we don't take everything personally in the studio <laughs> and where we bring our best selves to each other and appreciate what the other one does well you know, which is really marriage in a nutshell. In fact, someone said to me, this this record is the sound of a marriage. Mm. And that was very moving to me. A lot of the songs are about relation, about marriage, you know, and uh, and then we brought our own to it. So it's good working with him. We really enjoy each other's company. You know, one of the tracks that, that we we really loved, and we hope people will take a moment to listen to because you're going to want to get the whole CD after you do. It, it's kind of like a, it defines what you were just talking about here from the uh, CD, The River and the Thread, is a song called A Feather's Not a Bird. Let's listen to just a little bit of that. I'm going down to Florence, going to wear a pretty dress. Roseanne, that song has got soul, it's got a groove, it's got, man, it's, it, it feels so real. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yes, that's the opening track on the record, and I had written that uh, chorus 
um, sometime before I wrote the rest of the lyrics. And John and I were driving from Alabama through Mississippi. And a friend uh, who was teaching me to sew in Alabama, my friend Natalie Channon, she said that to me when I was threading my needle. She said, you have to love the thread. And it chilled me. Tears came to my eyes when she said it, and I kept thinking of that line, you have to love the thread, you know, backwards and forwards, your ancestors, your children, your geography, home. And that led to the lyrics, and then John wrote this swampy melody. <laughs> it is a very mature album. You are in your late 50s now. You've already had a 35-year career. How are things different now, Roseanne, than they were 20 years ago in terms of your career, your expectations? I have fewer expectations, which is, there's a lot of freedom in that. You know, I've, I, I don't expect radio hits or huge commercial sales anymore. Um, I don't have anxiety about that. I'm at a point in my life where I just want to do good work. Obviously, I want to make a living, but I feel that I've gotten some kind of mastery at what I do, and it took a lot of doubt and uncertainty to get to that place. But I think that's common for people in middle age. You know, you finally feel that you know what you do well, and you're. The difference for me is I know a lot of people who are burnout at my age, and I I am so lucky that I still feel. I love what I do, and I feel inspired. What keeps you? What keeps it fresh for you? Because you know, any of us can get burned out of what we do. You could have certainly gotten burned out in, in what you're doing. What is it? How do you make yourself stay fresh? That's a good question. Art inspires me. Art and music, and I am still in love with my husband, <laughs> and I love being a mom and. I love my work, and I feel I remind when I do feel burnout, when I'm tired, and I can't stand to look at one more baggage claim. I remind myself that I'm lucky to do what I do. And this this latest album, uh, you, you know, is, is so good and so great. Your talents, Roseanne, obviously stand on their own. Uh, and I don't mean to push this interview in, in, in the wrong direction, but, but the blessing and the curse of being Johnny Cash's daughter is that guys like us can't talk to you or about you without reminding everyone that which they probably already know, and that is that you are Johnny Cash's daughter. Does that get old, or is that something that, that, that you've learned to embrace and, and, and cherish? Honestly, the answer is yes to both of those questions. It does get old because I'm in middle age, like you said, and also everybody knows it. It's not like you're going to find very many people who don't know that fact. And there's a fascination with my dad that I think people, because he's gone, they want to, I don't know, sometimes look through me to try to see him, and that gets old. The other part is, yes, of course I've accepted um, the tradition I come from, who my parents are, where they came from, because there's a lot of beauty in that, and because I can't really know who I am without accepting all of that, the good and the bad. You know, an- another one of the negatives that comes from that is that people assume that, oh my gosh, she must have had a silver spoon, she's had a charmed life, probably <laughs> never had a day of worry ever, but you have had, my friend, some serious challenges in your life. You've lost your voice more than once when polyps attacked your vocal cords. And again, in, in it was it 2007, you actually had brain surgery. So you've had some challenges. What did you learn about having to, to face those? Well, yeah, Silver Spoon is not accurate. And, you know, and before all of the things you mentioned, my childhood was incredibly chaotic. You know, my dad was in a, had a drug addiction at that time. So... And, yeah, I have lost my voice twice, and it scared me, and it was a long process of rebuilding it both times. And uh, the brain surgery was a good, hard look at my own mortality, and it made me feel very urgent about doing the things I want to do. And, uh, you know, you asked before, how do I stay fresh? That was a a game changer for me. I, I feel lucky to have survived, and... I feel an urgency about doing my work in this world. Um, but I, you know, I, I'm a naturally a very optimistic person. I can put a good spin on just about anything. When I 
found out I had to have brain surgery, I said, well, I can afford to take time off work. I have my husband supportive, and I have good health insurance, so why not me? <laughs> and sometimes I'm a bit of a Pollyanna in that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, if there is any question, if you can bounce back, it has been answered emphatically with her latest album, folks. You've got to check it out. It's called The River and the Thread. She is the great Roseanne Cash. Uh, and you can learn more at RoseanneCash.com. Roseanne, thanks so much for your time, and we'll play a little bit more of this album as we go into our break. Seven lives and I used up all my chums I took the long way home just to end up in your arms That's why I'm going down to Florence now I got my pretty dress When a routine physical revealed an incurable form of cancer, his mission became remission. That's next on Growing Boulder. A stone is not a mountain, but a river runs through me. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... Advent Health, introducing the Feel Whole Challenge, a 21-day program offering big improvements through small steps. Taking a walk, making a smoothie, changes that encourage whole person health. More information at feelwholechallenge.com. And by... The Legacy Life Project from Macbeth Studio, preserving family history, stories, and memories for generations to come by creating personal video biographies of your loved ones. Everyone has a story worth preserving. LegacyLifeProject.com. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton, and this is Growing Bolder. Time now for our Surviving and Thriving interview with the right kind of care and support and the right attitude. It's possible not only to survive life's greatest challenges, but to thrive in the aftermath. And our next guest is an amazing example. Boy, he really is. Pat Williams, the guy probably best known as the man who brought the magic to Central Florida, is at it again, going for the magic one more time. This time, though, his mission is bigger more important and far more personal. Good to see you. How are you, honey? Life treating you well. Two weeks after this Growing Boulder photo session in 2011, Pat Williams, the man who brought the magic to Central Florida, had his annual physical at Celebration Health Assessment. A few months later, he shared the frightening results with us. Dr. Edwards, who was in charge that day, told me at the end of the day that there was something in the blood work that needed further checking. Finally, Dr. Reynolds said, you're... Uh, you had a disease, it's multiple myeloma, which I'd never heard of. Mm. I've heard of it now, you know. Mm -hmm. Multiple myeloma is an incurable blood cancer that affects about 20,000 Americans every year. Only half of those survive. Understandably, Pat wanted the best care possible. Pat was impressed with Dr. Reynolds, and the closer he looked, the more he realized that the best care was in his own backyard. And I made it clear to him that if I believed for a moment that there was better treatment elsewhere, that's where I would send him. As it turns out, I think he's received all the right treatment here. I think anybody, when they get that diagnosis of cancer, the first thought really that hits their mind is, um, is it curable? Generally not, but it's treatable. And then the, the real issue is, how do I get into remission? And then I just kind of casually said, so doc, in other words, the mission is remission. Well, my kids picked up on that and uh, some staff guys, and the next thing you know, they got T-shirts and flashing that little slogan around. If you tell him that there's one person in a hundred that's going to be able to do something in life, he comes across as the kind of guy that will say, I'm, I'm going to be that guy. It's part of a, the grand adventure of life, Mark. I, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but uh, I'm praying for remission, and I, I just feel that the Lord has more for me to do here on this earth. And uh, it's going to be very exciting to see how this all plays out. 
Ten months later, after a round of chemotherapy, Pat's cancer was still not in remission, and his last hope was a stem cell transplant. They re-entered my own stem cells back into my body, healthy stem cells into a clean, chemo, wiped out body, you know. At the 50 day mark, I'm feeling good. Uh, in 50 more days, they, they say you'll, you know, you should be over the hump. You look good. I feel I'm getting there. I, I don't see any hair underneath the hat. Tell yeah, us about that. Yeah. Was that, was that, was that an issue for you? I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm worse than you, Mark. <laughs> How much? So no longer, Mark, am I using head and shoulders. It's now mop and glow. <laughs> Before long, Pat was over the hump. He no longer runs marathons, but he does work out daily in his home gym, and he's just finished writing his 88th book, a book of encouragement for anyone battling cancer called The Mission is Remission. How is that mission going? Well, Mark, I, I am in remission. You know, it took a while to get there, but uh, the doctors have informed me that I am full-fledged into remission, and so I'm, I'm grateful for that. To better understand what's next for Pat, it helps to appreciate his past. At 29, he was GM of the Chicago Bulls, followed by the Atlanta Hawks and the Philadelphia 76ers. In the late 80s, he brought an NBA franchise to Orlando and was recently honored with a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Basketball Hall of Fame. He's a man who gets things done. And now he wants to raise $25 million to establish the Southeast First Multiple Myeloma Center in Orlando because research shows that patients who are treated at a facility dedicated exclusively to myeloma have a five times higher survival rate. Well, I know I'm behind 100%. And, you know, what were the chances in the 1980s when he came here that our community would have one of only a handful of very successful basketball franchises. I see the same thing in him today. There isn't a day that goes by, I think, that he isn't working towards his goal of bringing a myeloma center here, which I think is extremely important. Pat Williams is savoring every moment of life and has a word of advice for everyone. Don't neglect your annual physical and get in shape now for the health battles that we're all likely to face. I think it's important for you to keep active I think that's part of keeping you healthy. Get in shape for old age, get in shape for illnesses that may come along, because if you're in good physical condition, boy, it, it's a huge benefit, Mark, huge. You know, as Pat and the doctor noted, Bill, in many cases, the kind of treatment, the kind of therapy that uh, you get is dependent upon the, the physical condition that you're in. So Pat's point is really well taken. And, and another reason this is really needed in this area is that a new multiple myeloma center would be the first of its kind in the southeast and would unquestionably save lives. You know, statistics show the facilities dedicated exclusively to multiple myeloma have a five times higher survival rate for their patients. This is something that will make a difference in all our lives. What's the key to happiness? Well, Key Howard says it's your attitude, and Key always has a bright outlook on life. In fact, his personal motto is, ain't life grand. Here's Key. Are you out there with Ponce de Leon looking for the fountain of youth? Well, you can stop looking. They finally found it. Where? Well, within the boundaries of your mind. Let me explain. Most of us seem to have a tendency to use time against ourselves. Starting with that very innocent question, how old are you? Have you ever noticed that nobody ever asks how young you are? And are you aware that we unconsciously go through life measuring time? Boy, only got five hours sleep last night. Or, yeah, yeah, I remember back then, but uh, I was young and had a lot more energy. But you know how it is when you get older. Am I right? Huh? Well, allow me to let you in on a little secret. An individual grows mature, but he doesn't necessarily get old. Have you never seen what youthful thinking can do for a person? Anyone can achieve a vital appearance and good health along with it by the simple recognition of the relationship between your mind and your body. Or as I say in the computer business, garbage in, garbage out. Remember the old saying, there is no springtime for the person who only thinks of winter. So next time somebody says, boy, it's tough to grow old, isn't it? Look them in the eye and say, I don't know, 
I'm as young as I feel. Tonight, I feel like dancing down at the Katie Bell Saloon. Want to tag along? Until next time, this is Key Howard. Ain't life grand? Coming up, one of the world's most revered and beloved flute teachers, still making sweet music at the age of 92. That's next on Growing Bolder. Growing Boulder provided by the Center for Health and Well-Being now open in Winter Park. Wholeness, fitness, and medicine together in one convenient location, offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging. More at yourhealthandwellbeing.org. Sign up for the Growing Boulder Insider Newsletter, delivered to your inbox every week. Be the first to see our latest interviews, stories, and tips for making each day count. Sign up today at growingbolder.com. The following interview was recorded before the passing of our guest. I am Bill Schaefer along with Mark Middleton, and this is Growing Bolder. Our next guest is one of the world's most revered and most beloved flute teachers, who at the age of 92, Mark, he still performs in concerts, and the guy still gives master classes all over the country. Yeah, listen to this. He is the recipient of the National Flute Association's Lifetime Achievement Award. He's responsible for developing many first-chair musicians and orchestras all over America. It is our pleasure to welcome Mr. Robert Willoughby. Hey, Robert. Good morning. Hey, can we call you Bob? Do your friends call you Bob or Robert? Uh, both. Either. It's up to you. Either one. I'm happy either way. Uh, I'm going to call you Robert because it's more distinguished. Uh, you know, t- tell us at 92, how big a part of your life today is the flute? Do you still play every day? Do you teach every day? I, well, no, I don't know. I've actually cut back, you know, as I get older, I cut my schedule back. But uh, I was originally going to be a lawyer. And then uh, I, uh, some my high school band director said, you should go to Interlochen. That's a wonderful uh, summer music camp. And I, so I said, okay, let's give it a go. And while I was there, uh, Dr. Howard Hansen of the Eastman School of Music came and heard me play and offered me a full tuition scholarship. So that's how I happened to go into music. It was the usual story of uh, I was there about two weeks and I thought I was in heaven. So huh. I guess that's one way you know that you're in the right business. So let me get this straight, Robert. You were going to be an attorney, yes, but you became a flute teacher. Uh, you... Well, I became a flutist. I also play. I, my first job actually was in the Cleveland Orchestra, as a, a part of the flute section. So how did the, how did the conversation go, Robert, when you called your mom and dad together and said, "I think I'm going to forget about this lawyer business. I'm playing the flute." <laughs> well, I'm not sure I expressed it like that. As a matter of fact. My father would love it if I had joined him in, the, in his law office. But anyway, uh, I said I was still debating whether I should go into music or not. He said, why don't you give it a, a year and see how you like it, and you'll, you'll know. And, of course, it didn't take a year. It took two weeks. So I've, uh, then I, when I graduated there, I uh, enlisted in the Air Force and served uh, in, uh, overseas for three years. Came, came back after that and uh, spent a year studying in Boston with uh, Georges Laurent, who was first in the Boston Symphony. And then my first job, as I said, was in the Cleveland Orchestra with George Zell. And it is. And you, you traveled that path from, from becoming a very accomplished flutist to becoming, yeah, by most accounts, the greatest teacher in the world. And, you know, we're, we're actually talking to Robert because uh, one of our 
uh, followers on Facebook recommended him. And, you know, it takes more than just a recommendation to get on the Growing Boulder radio show. We did a lot of research, and what we found was that this guy's not only a good flute teacher, he is the greatest in the world. What makes a great flute teacher, Robert? Why are you so revered? Well, I don't think there's any such thing as, as the greatest flute teacher, for starters. There are many excellent flute teachers. I've studied with three of them, besides Georges Laurent. I studied with um, Mariano at uh, Eastman, and I studied with Kincaid in uh, three or four summers. So I think you pick up what you know a lot from different people, and then you add your, your own layer of, uh, as you go along uh, as you're teaching more. You know, Actually, we, after I was in the Clean Orchestra for three years, I started also teaching at Oberlin College. So I had the two jobs going. Uh, obviously, I wasn't married or I never could have done it. You know, Robert, there's so much talk these days, and all these experts keep coming forward and talking about things like how playing a musical instrument challenges your brain to such an extent that it can develop new neural pathways as we age. And if maybe that's why so many accomplished musicians like you are so sharp into your 90s and beyond, do you think that that comes from, from, from playing? Well, I, I think it does, sure. Obviously, the, the brain enters into this. You have to have talent. You have to have uh, a, a certain amount of intelligence. And, of course, you have to also have the desire to do a lot of practicing to get where you go. I mean, it takes many hours of study and in practice. And a lot of good talent uh, don't really develop because they, they don't stick to it the way they should. Folks, we're talking with Robert Willoughby, who is 92 years old. He, he still performs the flute. He still teaches the flute. He has been responsible for developing many first-chair musicians and orchestras all over America. Uh, and, Robert, we're not going to ask you to play the flute, but we're going to ask you to, to sing for your supper a little bit, if you will. Tell us what you've learned about life in general. What can we learn from you about being, uh, you know, not, not, not only significant uh, in our own lives, but in the lives of others as we reach our 80s and even our 90s? Well, one thing I learned when I was, after I came back from overseas during the war, I taught for a while, and, and it was interesting to me that as a teacher of flying, it's the same as it is with almost everything. If you can get somebody to actually use their brain and think, uh, you can be a good teacher, or at least that's uh, essential, I think in what you do, and I certainly carried that idea over and, and as I have taught through the, through the decades. You know, Robert, a generation ago, you would have been like a total oddity. You know, you didn't see people in their 90s continue to teach, continue to play, continue to be so vibrant and active and involved. Is it, do, you, do you get that? Do you feel that sense of, uh, of that you're helping change the face of aging just by doing what you love? Well, you said it right there. Why am I doing it? Because I, I love teaching. I absolutely adore teaching. And I've had the good fortune to have many, many fine students over the years. And as you said, they're, they're playing they're in big orchestras all over the country. And uh, so, you know, it's a real pleasure. I also uh, have managed to cut back gradually when I left, uh, when I retired from uh, Oberlin where I was teaching. I commuted to Baltimore for 10 years for three days a week from my home in New Hampshire. And finally, uh, after 600 flights, I figured that was enough of that. So uh, that, that had been uh, cutting back in half what I'd been doing at Oberlin. So I, I was asked if I would teach at the Longy School of Music in Cambridge, and I said yes, but again, I want to cut back my schedule. So I've, I've loved teaching, but I think also I'm lucky enough to be in a profession where you can gradually ease off as you get older. So you, you can still enjoy what you're doing, but you don't have to beat your brains out anymore. Well, you know, folks, he is a national treasure. We wanted you to meet Robert Willoughby, who at 92 years old continues to give back not only to his family and his community, but to, you know, to the musical world across the globe. Uh, he is 
called by many, one of the greatest flute teachers of all, 92 years old, still getting it done. Robert, thanks so much. And Bill, isn't it great to have role models like that out there that we can still talk to? And it's not just for people who are interested in the flute. I mean, anybody listening to an interview with a 92-year-old guy who is sharp and vibrant and involved and wanting to make a difference in the lives of others, that's an inspiration that Mark didn't exist a generation or two ago. And as we learn in all of our interviews, it is never too late. So folks, what is it you want to do? What is it that you're not doing? Get out there and do it because that is growing bolder. Coming up next, the Academy Award winning and Tony nominated actress who at 86 is doing her best work ever. Next on Growing Bolder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by Winter Park's new Crosby Wellness Center at the Center for Health and Well-Being. More than just a gym, it features unique medically integrated programs, activities for all ages and skill levels, and free group exercise classes with memberships. More at CrosbyWellnessCenter.org. Stay connected to Growing Boulder for daily doses of hope, inspiration, and possibility. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for our latest stories and motivational pictures. My guard stood hard when abstract threats to noble, to neglect. Oh, my gosh. You're going to love this. Mark, are you ready for this? I am ready, yes. Because, folks, we have for you a segment that is going to light fire to your radio. Uh-huh. Bill Schaefer here with Mark Middleton on Growing Boulder. Our next guest is most widely known for her Academy Award-winning performance in Bonnie and Clyde and her 10 years as Mother Bev on the hit sitcom Roseanne. Do you think they know who I'm talking about yet? I think they, I should, think they should, but too. if they don't, they're going to very quickly. At 86 years old, she has been doing or, or maybe was doing some of her best Best work in the Broadway play The Velocity of Autumn, for which she was nominated for a Tony Award. Welcome, the amazing Estelle Parsons. Good morning, Estelle. How are you? Good morning. I'm great. But, you know, this is terrible because all of a sudden everybody starts every introduction of me with how old I am, which everybody knows you're not supposed to do that with women. You're supposed to say a certain age or something. But my whole life seems to revolve around she's 86 and she's still walking around. Hey, Estelle. And it's true, it's true. <laughs> this is not just any interview, though. You're on uh, Growing Bolder, the show that turns aging upside down thanks to the amazing exploits of people like you. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think she bought that, Bill. All right, let's move on because. No, I buy it, I buy it. All right, let, let's start that over. Uh, She is a veteran uh, of the stage and the screen, Estelle Parsons. (laughs) I have been on Broadway for 58 years, and I've done 30 Broadway shows. Unbelievable. But how many shows I've done in my whole life all around the world, that's another story, and nobody's counted them up. Well, we're not going to do that today, but I do want to talk briefly about your most recent role. Talk about a roller coaster ride. You're nominated for a Tony for your performance in The Velocity of Autumn. Literally, several hours later, the announcement comes that the play is closed. Yeah. How do you process all of that in such a short period of time? It's showbiz, honey. <laughs> That's how you process everything that happens in this crazy business, show business. <laughs> well, let's talk a little about the business of life. 86 blows our minds. We love that. We have people on this program, Estelle, like you, who are accomplishing great things at this age. And yeah. ev- ev- all people that are listening, they're 20, they're 30, they're 40, they're going, how can I end up being like her? Yeah. It's pure chance, you know. You wake up every morning, you do your thing, and the next thing you know, <laughs> you're 86. <laughs> I can't believe it. I don't know how other people are about these things. But I never thought about my age all the way along. Like I had a playwright friend. He was like so depressed at 30. Then I had another one at 40. I never got depressed about my age. Never even thought about it until I got to be 80. And then I thought, oh, my. 
<laughs> oh, my, I'm 80. And that seemed like a really huge number to me. And then I kept going, and here I am at 86, right? Yeah. I'll be 87 in November. All right. Uh, <laughs> let, let's talk a little more about this, this role, because it really was an amazing uh, play. In fact, the New York Times quote said, Now 86, Miss Parsons has lost little, if any, of her energy, absolutely none of her ability to bring sustained, animated life to a well-drawn character. She never leaves the stage during this 90-minute two-character play. Uh, it, it just goes on and on and on. In the play, you are playing a strong willed 79-year-old artist who not only refuses to move out of her home into an assisted living facility, something many of our listeners can relate to, you actually threaten to blow up the entire building if they try to force you to move out. That sounds like a meaty role. You, did you enjoy doing it? Oh, yeah. It was an amazing experience. A huge, huge challenge because this woman has had, unlike myself, this woman has had a couple of dementia moments. So inside, she's a little rattled. But, you know, I was just thinking this morning, because my kids are here visiting, because I've got to go to the Tonys this week, and my husband's got a big award as well, which is kind of nice. But anyway, you know, the terrible thing is you let other people do for you, and you just can't let that happen. You've got to keep doing for yourself. So I think, really, people shouldn't be allowed to go to assisted living homes unless they want to. And that's the difference. People who want to go love it there. People who are forced to go never like it there. That's the difference. But you have got to keep doing for yourself. Someone says, take my seat on the subway. You say, no, thanks. I'd rather stand up. You've got to keep moving your body around. That's the key to keeping going for long, long, long is to keep moving. But that's what life is all about. All kinds of life is constantly moving, right? We can't stand still. I've talked so much, I'm exhausted. <laughs> you know what? We could listen to you to, to, uh, for just about ever. And <laughs> listening to you, it does seem as though this role was actually made for you because at one point in the play, your character really, in a sense of despair, says, what the world is taking away from me, what time is taking away from me, what God is taking away from me, is me. And yeah. you, you seem to have such a strong sense of me, Estelle. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm lucky I'm healthy. You know, Jewish people are always talking about how important health is, and I realize they are right. <laughs> because if you don't have your health, you know, it's pretty hard to keep the other stuff going if you don't have good health. And I'm very fortunate that I do. I'm Swedish stock and old New England stock, and, you know, it's certainly serving me well. Broadway's a brutal schedule on 30-year-olds, Estelle. You know, we, we, I don't want to beat this into it's the ground. It's a tough schedule. Yeah, you've got to get geared up for work. You know, but it's like living on another plane. You get geared up, and then you do it. You're like a horse who runs races. You know, that's what you do, and so your whole being is geared up. And you don't realize how geared up you got until a show closes, and then you kind of see yourself, you know, gearing down, down, down to be an ordinary human being again. It's a very interesting process. So, so and what, a tough one. Everybody isn't built for that kind of, you know, up and down, up and down, up and down. So what do you but do? if you are built for it and you love it, you know, that's what you do. What do you do now, Estelle, in the middle? What, what's, where do you look for your next uh, project? Well, I've got another lot of projects going, of course. Uh, other theater projects, and I've got a movie, kind of a Bonnie and Clyde for the uh, older set going. So we're trying to get that financed and get that started. And, um, you know, things like that. i got a lot of stuff going, and I'm always busy at the actor's studio where I'm directing a couple of pieces that are going out on various kinds of tours and stuff. So I never stop being busy. That's the beauty of being a member of the actor's studio. You're just working for nothing instead of money, which is a big difference. But nonetheless, you're busy, busy, busy. So that's good. Not only are you a member of the Actors Studio, you've been inducted into the Theater Hall of Fame. And, yeah, and, and they're honoring me. In a couple of weeks, we have this big luncheon where they're honoring me and giving uh, money to uh, grants, you know, to young people who are just starting out, 
which is when you really need money, when you really care about money. Well, yeah. you are a delight and a pleasure, and we love your energy so much, Estelle. We know that, uh, the, that the best is still ahead for you. Folks, she's an Academy Award-winning actress, uh, a Tony Award-winning uh, performer on the stage. Estelle Parsons is her name, and we will watch very closely, anxiously awaiting to see what is next. Estelle, thank you so much for your time. Coming up, the jump roping inventor, entrepreneur, motivational speaker who says he can change your life with a rope. That's next on Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by Advent Health, introducing the Feel Whole Challenge, a 21-day program offering big improvements through small steps like a daily walk, making smoothies, changes that encourage whole person health. More information at feelwholechallenge.com. Subscribe to Growing Boulder Magazine, now with more information, articles, and photos than ever before. This quarterly publication is unlike any other, filled with the kind of inspiration you need to live your life to the fullest. More information at growingbolder.com slash subscribe. With the jingle jangle guitar of Roger McGuinn, you know you're listening to Growing Boulder. Hey everybody, Bill Schaefer here along with Mark Middleton. And our next guest was a 1992 U.S. Olympian in Greco-Roman wrestling, one of the best in the world. And now, get this, he's arguably one of the world's leading advocates for jumping rope. He's an author, a motivational speaker, and he's appeared on nearly every national network newscast talking about the benefits of jumping rope. You're absolutely right, Mr. Schaefer. Not only is he one of the best jumpers in the world, he's an inventor and a successful entrepreneur who has created an entire industry around one of the oldest and most basic fitness tools of all. Let's find out more from the king of the jump rope, Mr. Buddy Lee. Hey, buddy. How you guys doing? How's Bill and Mark? We're doing great. Have you jumped rope yet today? Um, not yet, but uh, later on this evening. You'll, you know. get a, you'll get around to it. You know, we mentioned you have built an entire business selling Buddy Lee jump ropes, books, DVDs, your training system. You even founded a jump rope institute. What is it about jumping rope that you think uh, it, it's something that we can all benefit from? Well, let me just tell you this, um, guys. Um, this jump rope became my best friend as a developing to Olympic athlete, best training partner, and um, actually transformed my life. Um, when I integrated into my wrestling, I found out that it gave me advantages in speed, quickness, agility, explosive power, conditioning, mental toughness, weight loss. This, this, this exercise was the uh, key to my success in becoming an Olympic athlete. And uh, for the last 35, 40 years, I've been educating, motivating, and encouraging people on how jump rope is the building block to fitness and one of the most efficient ways of developing cardiovascular fitness. See, buddy, you blow people's minds because I'm sure they look at you when you say jump rope and they chuckle. Yeah. Well, you know, I think everybody can relate to it, you know, because we all see jump rope from different perspectives. You know, girls, they see double dutch. Guys, they th think of Muhammad Ali and great boxers. And then you have athletes who, who learn to integrate jump rope as one of the advantages to winning world and Olympic titles. But um, I've learned to, you know, you know, wow people with the jump rope and get them interested. And then I break it down to them in, in a system that I've created in three steps that make it very easy to learn this skill. Folks, Buddy mentioned that he wows people, and we are speaking with Buddy Lee, who is the king of the jump rope. Do yourself a favor. Go to YouTube and just do a search for Buddy Lee. There are viral videos of him doing amazing things with the jump rope. How fast are you, Buddy? How many times can you jump in one minute? Have you ever uh, counted? Well, in one minute, um, I don't do the, the one-minute stuff, but um, I'm, you know, I'm up to about maybe five to six revolutions per second. Wow. And that's world-class speed, and that's what the competitive jumpers, they jump about that speed, five to six revolutions per second. But I'm, I'm not, that's just a straight speed, but I'm doing more or less like the omnidirectional speed, like in different directions from quick side swings, because I like to simulate the movements that I use in combative sports. So I'm doing a lot of fast side swing and jump, side swing, jumping backwards, and just quickness in different directions. And that's what keeps me young fast reflexes. 
buddy, you you are not just fast. You are amazing. And I, and I watch you, and then I start thinking, maybe I should pick a jump rope up. But, man, I'm not a kid anymore. It's probably too late to learn. Well, that's not true. My oldest jumper is about 93 years of age. <laughs> if you go on my Facebook, he's about 93. And um, this is something you can do from age 6 to, to 100 years of age. And um, what I've done is broken it down in three steps in my book called Jump Rope Training. You know, I teach people from the base phase, and that's from learning the skill, learning how to coordinate the rope swing, learning how to how to take off and land lightly on the balls of your feet, and then how to slowly progress from one jump to building the basic capacity of 500 jumps, and then eventually to 10 minutes of jumping. Now, I do that in three steps, the base phase, conditioning phase, and sports training phase. And once you can get up to 10 minutes of jumping, well, according to research, 10 minutes of jumping can provide the same benefits as 30 minutes of jogging, two sets of tennis, 30 minutes of racquetball, 12 minutes of swimming. This represents the most efficient way of developing cardiovascular fitness. Man, now you see why this guy has developed a business around this. And, and, buddy, what you've really done is you've taken away excuses because, you know, we can all say, oh, I don't have time to go to the gym. I can't afford to go to the gym. But everybody can afford a jump rope. And, and how credible is this guy, folks? He has trained Olympic athletes in 25 sports with his system, and he manufactures the AeroSpeed Blue, the Buddy Lee Hyper Performance AeroSpeed Blue. Buddy, that's called the Rolls-Royce of jump ropes, been called the smoothest, fastest, best balance rope by men's health. What makes a good jump rope? Well, first of all, it needs to be something that can respond to your needs, no matter what level of jumping, jumper you are, whether you are just a beginner or advanced jumper. You need something that can go as slow as you need it to go or as fast as you need it to go. It needs to be adjustable. It needs to be able to fit comfortably in your hands. And then it needs to have a, be made of a material that's aerodynamic so that when you turn the rope, you're not waiting on the rope. It's you know waiting for you to jump over it. So what I've done is design, design a new technology called a swivel bearing, external swivel bearing, not like the traditional bearings, but the external swivel bearing, which eliminates friction and drag and eliminates tangle. So when you jump with this rope, it has great control, it motivates you to jump, and, and, and uh, it makes it easier. Look, buddy, you're, you're, you're a former Olympic athlete. I, I, I'm guessing you're in your 50s now, and you've successfully reinvented yourself as a businessman. You're a, you're a spokesperson. You're an expert. What can we learn about you from life in general about finding our way in the world? Well, I wrestle for jump rope. I became an Olympian because I needed that status to be able to motivate people around the world on on the benefits of jumping. This this was my passion. And I say, you know, follow your passion. And I think I've been very blessed to take from the, you know, being an Olympic athlete, jump rope was the thing that I love. Because why? Not only did it help me with my fitness, but it brought people together. It breaks down barriers. It doesn't make a difference what color you are. When people get a jump rope in their hands, and they try to jump, they're having fun. And once they learn how to jump, they have even more fun. And um, I think I've been very blessed to, to be able to uh, earn a living doing what I love and changing people's lives. And, folks, what a guy is the great Buddy Lee, the king of the jump rope. Check it out. Go to BuddyLeeJumpRopes.com. He is the king of the jump rope worldwide. Buddy, thanks so much for your time, and thanks for all you do.
Well, sadly, that is it for now. But Already? Re- yeah, it is. But remember, Growing Boulder does not stop here. It never stops, folks. You'll find hundreds more interviews just like the ones you've heard today with people who decided to make a change, and then you can witness the amazing results for yourself that came out of that. Ordinary people trying things they never thought possible. Celebrities taking risks they never imagined. Regular folks taking control of their health, finances, and their lives, all at growingbolder.com. Growing Boulder is a production of Boulder Broadcasting. All rights reserved. This program was recorded at Growing Boulder Studios in Orlando and is available as a weekly podcast on NPR One, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and TuneIn. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Executive producers are Jackie Carlin, Robert Thompson, and Emily Thompson. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Production manager is Michael Nanis. Chief audio engineer is Mac Dula. And our most important team member is you. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to keep growing bolder every day. Crimson flames tied through my ears, going high and mighty trapped. Countless fire and flaming road, using ideas as my map. Said I, proud me, did it proud. Ah, but I was so much older then. I'm younger than that now. Half right prejudice, leap before, rip down all hate I scream. Lies that life is black and white, spoke from my skull. Musketeers, foundation deep somehow. Oh, but I was so much older then. I'm younger than that now. In a soldier's stance, I aim my hand at the mongrel dogs who teach. Fearing not, I'd become my enemy in the instant. Oh,